This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, November 29, 2007. I'm Caleb Brown. Feminism has come to mean many things to many people. Carrie Lucas of the Independent Women's Forum argues that feminism was once a movement about equality under the law and equality of opportunity. She says it now often represents expansion of government to achieve often dubious ends. We spoke following a Cato Institute book forum yesterday. A great deal of feminism focuses on equality, and to that extent, I certainly think that libertarians would agree that women should be treated equally under the law and that non-governmental groups ought to be focusing on equality of opportunity where equality under the law is not implicated. Uh, Is there a reason to believe that feminism as a general movement can refocus more strictly on the issues of equality under the law, or has the word feminism become a catch-all for so many different ideas that it no longer can serve that purpose. It, it is. It's really hard when we talk about the word feminism because the, the term feminism does have a proud history where it was supposed to be about women's equality. But today, those who have really become associated with the word feminism are no longer champions of equality. When you think about feminism, you think about groups like the National Organization for Women. And when you look at their agenda, it really has nothing to do with equality anymore. It's about expanding government and um, really treating women as a special interest group and attempting to use their power to uh, to expand government to benefit women and to provide direct subsidies to women oftentimes. As to gender roles in the home and in the workplace, there is this burgeoning field of feminist economics. The uh, feminism of the 60s and 70s in many ways ignored some of the basic economic principles, chief among them being division of labor. Is it possible that this field of feminist economics can help mainstream feminism sort of understand that principle? <laughs> it's possible. And I certainly think that there is, there's a lot of feminists out there who are talking about equality and people who are interested in, in really um, getting that term back on track. I, I, the group I work for, the Independent Women's Forum, you know, we in many ways consider ourselves um, feminists. And we focus a lot on what's going on overseas and think about um, women who are truly, there are a lot of women around the world who are truly in oppressive regimes and don't enjoy legal equality. And I think if the feminist feminist movement started to focus on them and really focused on on the need for greater respect for women um, and support for women overseas, that would be a much more legitimate function than what so much of the modern traditional feminist, feminist movement here in the United States focuses on, which is often just the minutia of our daily lives and really just grievances. Something you all talked about at the forum dealt with what ought to be introduced in court when a a rape claim is made. And it's very troubling that a history of consensual sex with other men or with the same man can be used to discredit a claim of rape. In your opinion, what ought to be able to be introduced in a court of law or made public, such as the accuser's name, things like that? Well, I think this is, it's a really hard situation because we all recognize that, that rape is a, can be a horrible um, violation and terrible crime. Uh, but a lot of the times that it is, there's a lot of um, lack of evidence. And this is a, uh, it becomes a he said, she said situation, in particular in, in date rapes. And, um, and we need to 
I think that as you know, different states have different laws, and I think that what we what we need to focus on is maintaining a presumption of innocence that we cannot just assume that any accusation is um, is uh, is legitimate just because a woman makes that accusation. We have to allow the defense to prevent to present a, a defense, and that when it comes to things like women having a history of of charges of rape um, or of um, of uh, of specific uh, you know if she has been having um, in course with this with this man um, and I think that is something that we need to, to think about it's certainly while rape can still take place it is something that makes his claim a little bit more believable that she consented again we need to look at the totality of the evidence and sure it's inappropriate to assume that just because a woman is sexually active that she um, that she consented to any given act of sex uh, but we need to allow continue to have the presumption of innocence because otherwise we really have abandoned and left men open to um, to false charges, and there are a lot of men who um, have done jail time on uh, rape accusations that turn out to be false. I, I think it's important to remember that rape, a rape accusation, is a powerful weapon, and that um, that women who make a false accusation of rape, I, I think that that should be uh, should be penalized. Something like we just saw in this Duke Lacrosse case, where a woman made what turned out to be a completely false accusation that she that's she should be penalized for that she helped helped really um, ruin people's lives and race, wasted a lot of taxpayer resources now james sturba who is a co-author of a debate book does feminism discriminate against men suggests two things that i thought were pretty shocking one was to simply seek higher conviction rates for rape now that's presumably through uh, a rape shield law that would protect accusers from i assume having their identities uh, revealed or having uh, certain information about them revealed in court. The other thing was creating the crime of a first-time sexual encounter being executed essentially without a condom. Now, I can understand the idea of a rape shield law from the perspective of somebody making a very sensitive claim of rape, but there's the other side of that as well. Sure. Uh, you know, I think that, that this is that the pursuit of a given um, conviction rate, I think, is disturbing because we need to look at each case as uh, individually and um, attempt um, to find justice. And just as important, we need to remember that it is better to let um, 100 guilty men go free than to have one innocent man convicted. And I think that's something we have to um, have to recognize that our system, we will never cr create a system where all rapists are, are put in, in jail. Um, if to do so would mean that there would be a lot of innocent people who are sent to jail for the crime of rape. So we need to, there's never going to be a perfect, perfect system. Um, and as far as the idea of creating a law to mandate that condoms um, must be used is, I think, um, just such a, a total gross violation of our basic concept of government's proper role. Is there any more private decision or something that government has less business in than making the contraceptive choice of, um, of millions of, of Americans? It's just, I think it's fairly absurd. And, um, and really, um, we need to remember, and this is why I think that there's a lot of discussion about how prevalent rape is and a lot of debate about the, the data and um, and some of the really alarmist rhetoric around um, rape um, makes invites things like this idea that the government should be involved in, in every sexual decision that Americans make, which um, is, in my mind, constitutes would constitute a true loss of liberty for individuals. 
Carrie Lucas is Vice President for Policy and Economics at the Independent Women's Forum. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. The full book forum, Does Feminism Discriminate Against Men, is available at our website, cato.org.